Welcome back, listener, to Discussing Marvel, a Moon Knight after show. I am your host, Irving, along with... Your other host, Eddie. And Eddie, today we will be discussing Assembled, the making of Moon Knight, along with our episode ranking. Yes, Eddie, we're, we are so late with this episode, but <laughs> hey, it's not my fault that Disney like took forever to drop the Assembled. I don't know what's going on, but they're starting to do this more and more frequently with the Assembled episode. Have you yeah. noticed? Yes. I feel like the first two were like literally right after the series ended. But like starting with Hawkeye, Hawkeye took like a month to show up. Yeah. The official synopsis of this Assembled is join the likes of Oscar Isaac and Ethan Hawke as they reveal how Marvel Studios Moon Knight was painstakingly brought to life through insightful interviews with a cast and crew along with immersive footage from the set assembled pulls back the curtain on this groundbreaking series additionally the making of moon knight incorporates a candid round table discussion with the series directors how do you feel about these assembled shows i like them because it reminds me of bonus features that you would find on a blu-ray disc so like the behind the scenes the making of like that's what i would spend most of my time doing after watching a movie is i want to know everything that happened during the making of a movie and this is a little snippet of that because it's really short as where in the blu-ray features you get like five hours of bonus content and the thing is now it feels like even when you buy the blu-ray or the 4k or the the physical disc like you don't get that much stuff in there anymore yeah and i feel like okay so you guys are making assembled the new special features but you're taking your sweet ass time to release it like get it together (laughs) yeah the one thing i want more than anything is i want director's commentary for these episodes like i want you to talk about it episode by episode because i love director's commentaries they're like podcasts yeah on their own and you learn so much and i would i want that more than anything else like i would sacrifice disassembled if they could just Give me director's commentary. Yeah, for sure. I know that you're having a great deal of difficulty being able to differentiate between what's real and what's in your head. Okay, like, why couldn't that have been the intro to the show? Yeah. <laughs> like, they made it for this. Like, why could why can't we have intros to these shows anymore, Eddie? Because they think people are, will fast-forward the intros. Well, it's, I think it's because, and what they, they mentioned in this episode is, this isn't a TV show. It's a six-hour movie. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, we know. We've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> so, Eddie, we learned that... Mohamed Diab did a 200-page pitch for the series. And, man, what I would do to get a chance to read the pitch for the show. Yeah. Like, Disney is known for merchandising everything. Sell these pitches. Come on. You can sell, like, (laughs) you could charge, like, 50 bucks for a book that is 200 pages in the pitching of the show. It's true. One thing I learned that I did not know was that um, there were three directors. I'm I'm clearly an uncultured swine, and I had no idea. I thought it was just uh, Muhammad was the only one. But Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, they did episode two, Some in the Suit, and episode four, The Tomb. Were you aware that there was more than three, uh, there, there was three directors? No, but it kind of makes sense because 
being the sole director of this six-hour movie, like they said, is a lot. And it definitely takes a toll on you trying to direct these these episodes if they're an hour long each. So, yeah. Every time I see like multiple directors like this, I'm always like, okay, so but who's the showrunner? Is it still? I'm assuming I'm assuming it's still just Kevin Feige, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like, how do you keep the the vision going forward and keeping the same tone? I think like for animation, it's pretty simple to know like, okay, you do it like this and you do it like that. But for like live action, I do think that it's interesting that I feel like Summon the Suit and Tomb are two of the most action packed. Episodes, episodes yeah <laughs> besides the finale so i just thought it was interesting that the other guy the other directors did those two episodes and i always think it's weird when there's like pair directors because part of me is like okay let's do a reality tv show where each director has to direct the same film and then we get to see who's pulling the weight yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at you, Rooster Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> and we actually get to learn how the character of Moon Knight came to be. When Moon Knight was first written, Mark Spector was basically just a guy who had different identities. Mark Spector was a mercenary. Stephen Grant is kind of the millionaire about town. And then there was Jake Lockley, the cab driver. And depending on what information uh, Mark Spector needed at that time as Moon Knight, he went into different identities. Over the years, the different identities morphed into different personalities, and those different personalities morphed into what we know now as dissociative identity disorder. I feel like comic creators started taking really interesting risks with the character of Moon Knight, and that's where you started to see things like his struggles with DID, um, and, and his mental health really kind of came to the forefront. And it took this character who was really introduced as just sort of like, Hey, he's a guy, he dresses up in white, he fights werewolves. What else do you need to know? And it really gave him some complexity and and really made him a character that was fascinating. Moon Knight is a character that for years in the comics has struggled with mental illness. The opportunity to tap into somebody that faces those challenges in a respectful way was very important to us. So it's no surprise to anybody that we're not comic book readers. It just didn't happen for us. So I do find it fascinating to know that the disassociative identity disorder came later on. That when it first started out, he just was playing three different parts depending on the information he needed. Yeah. How do you feel about that change? Do you think that it makes the character more interesting or does it feel like, well, you have to walk that fine line because it's hard to for people to sometimes distinguish the fiction from the fact. Uh, I made, I think it made it more interesting, like when they first introduced this character, Stephen Grant was a millionaire and they changed him to be a lonely museum gift shop owner. So, <laughs> So let's move on to Oscar Isaac. How did you feel about Oscar Isaac in this series? Oh, he can do whatever he wants to me. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. Eddie, you look like the bootleg version of Oscar Isaac. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) He can, he can pretend slap me all he wants. I can be his, his Stephen Grant or Jake Lockley to his Mark Spector. (laughs) So which one of the three did you prefer the most? Are you a are you a Mark fan now more than a Steven fan or Um I actually am a Steven fan a lot more after hearing his interview because he was kind of the one that came up with the accents and told Marvel like, "Hey, let's have him be from London with this British accent and I love that he was practicing with his kids and his kids loved the accent so he kept it so I thought that was a cool part 
I could just see his kids going, uh, he's back to old daddy. We want the other daddy. <laughs> <laughs> and I love hearing actors talking about their journey to becoming a character and when they're approached. And I love Oscar stories just as much. When I was approached uh, by Kevin Feige uh, with Moon Knight, I had never heard of the character. I mean, I collected comics when I was younger, you know, X-Men and uh, um, X-Force and, and, and a few others. And so the first thing was to kind of do a deep dive on the character and its history. Going back through the comics, it's shifted and changed so much. It's so rich. Um, it's pretty vast, and so our job was to kind of put a lens on the things that we found the most interesting or that, like, they had the most uh, dramatic juice. And ultimately, taking the mental health aspect about it incredibly seriously and really committing to what I really wanted to do, which is a, a, a character study, uh, a point-of-view experience. I just love when actors are excited to portray a character. Yes, we're we're listening to this through the Disney filter, so of course everyone's like, um, we love the House of Mouse. Yeah. They give us everything. <laughs> um, but I do feel like Oscar Isaac really did put in the work. Like he said, yeah. he did the research and having to, you know, jump in. I love that we learned that they filmed Steven for like the first two months. Yeah. That he, that he really wanted to separate Mark from Steven. And I think that was a really smart choice for him to first get to know these characters on their own. What do you think? No, for sure. I thought that was really cool that he was like, I don't want to be jumping back and forth between characters because I want to focus on just one. And it makes sense, too, because it's like you, as an actor, I'm guessing, want to get into character and if you're switching between multiple characters that you're playing, it gets confusing and your heart is not in it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it's not like Lindsay Lohan playing just two sets of identical twins. Here, he's playing two different people. I think many times where we've seen an actor play this uh, two different roles, they're usually twins and they're practically the same character in a different font mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> here they are two different distinguished characters with different voices different mannerisms the way that he changes his facial expressions you can instantly tell like they mention it right if you show mm -hmm. me a photo i can tell which one's mark and which one's steven and i'm like all i see is gorgeousness so i don't really care which one <laughs> yeah. i get yeah <laughs> But then he got to the point where he was able to go back and forth, mm -hmm. which clearly he was going to have to get to based on the way the show went. Yeah. Even Mohammed was like, during like one of the scenes in the mirror, he'd be shooting at the mirror and then turning the camera and then shooting uh, Oscar Isaac and like the personality just switched. And I thought that was really cool, too. Yeah, I thought it was cool when we learned that his brother was the body double. And at first I was like, oh, my God, there's two. <laughs> <laughs> Were you surprised that they brought in his brother to do the the body double? No and yes. I feel like a lot of like directors and stuff bring in family members to help them support because it's easy for them to like get bossed around and stuff like that and <laughs> that's I'm what i was gonna say <laughs> <laughs> and i'm pretty sure they didn't mind doing it so i'm sure they referred to them as union and non-union <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> pay what do you mean pay here's the sandwich <laughs> well because yeah he's just a stand-in i'm sure that we never really saw his brother in the show it was just mm -hmm. he needed someone to act off of and it was probably easier to just do it off of his brother yeah so they mentioned that they were afraid that people would not connect with mark after he was introduced like they they really wanted steven to have his time to shine for the first two episodes before bringing in mark 
do you agree? I do, because after watching this making of, I love Steven more. <laughs> but that's because we that's because we're in love with Oscar Isaac. <laughs> no, but yes, it it made me appreciate the character building of Stephen Grant because we got to spend more time with him because we saw it. He was like the lonely goofball that people were mean to and it just made us like him more. Eddie, let's be honest. We've all worked with episode one and two Stephen before and you did not feel like this about those people. Okay. <laughs> I think you're confusing episode six Stephen with episode one Stephen, who are two completely different Stevens. Okay. <laughs> I could not stand episode one and two Stephen because I was like, dude, get it together. You are <laughs> you are too smart to be this dumb. <laughs> but I think they underestimate how many people out there love and fetishize a man like mark they love that character they love the guys that are like punch 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 i had no feelings i am the dark (laughs) um so i think that it was that i don't think they were afraid that people were not gonna like mark i think they were afraid that people were not gonna like steven and prefer mark to be honest but they rather just say it the other way around yeah no let's get you to love Let's get you to love Steven first. And then then when Mark comes out, you're like, oh, yeah, this is this is the guy. This is the guy that I feel that I can change. He'll change for me, Eddie. <laughs> I know he will. I know he will. I know he'll change for me. He didn't for anyone else. He might break my heart. But at the end of the day, I just want that ring. Yeah. So moving on to our villain of the show, Harrow, played by Ethan Hawke. How did you feel about his portrayal as our big baddie in the series i like ethan hawk as an actor but i was expecting him to have a cool suit at the end <laughs> you didn't like him running in his little sandals and his chanclas <laughs> <laughs> i think that's what i was disappointed in the finale is he didn't get a cool villain suit everyone else you- did you, you know didn't. what i i felt i felt the same way i felt the same way as you did i brought it up when we discussed episode six but after hearing this discussion when they mentioned that harrow is not in it for the glory in their mind it would make sense that why would we give him a suit but this is not what he wants yeah and it's true because they even stated that he doesn't even they don't even see harrow as the villain like you can see it as he's trying to do something good, but not in a good way. <laughs> so they didn't see him as like the villain villain. Yeah, I'm going to pretend that Harrow's or origin story is um, the character from that Ethan Hawke movie with the telephone and the kids. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, I just love hearing how Ethan Hogged got involved in the project. As Muhammad and I were talking about Harrow, I said, hey, man, you know, what about Ethan? Wouldn't Ethan be great? And Muhammad said, yes, I love Ethan. I actually, I know Ethan. I think that'd be so good. That's such a great idea. We should do that. I think it was the very next day I went down to my coffee shop and there Ethan was. And I had seen him around, but I'd never, I hadn't talked to him. And he's like, hey, I heard you talk to Muhammad the other day. And I'm like, he goes, yeah, well, you know, I'm playing the Moon Knight. I was like, oh, I, I didn't know that. And he's like, yeah, you should be the villain. Muhammad and I talked about it. It was a very easy yes. I mean, I never even thought twice about it. Where is this coffee shop? I know. I was just going to tell you, like, let's go visit that coffee shop. <laughs> let's get hired. I'd be like, I got a skinny latte for daddy. Skinny latte for daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, all the celebrities go here. It's probably going to be that coffee shop on the lot. Like, <laughs> we can't yeah. even walk up to it. <laughs> <laughs> but is this really how these characters are getting involved? Like, hey, um, this is my buddy over here. 
hey, Kevin, you should get him. Or is this like the the Hollywood version that we like to tell? Yeah. Kind of like, For oh, sure. yeah. Daniel Radcliffe was discovered uh, on the audience during a performance of a play. And then you look into it and it's like, no. Yeah, he was. But he also auditioned for it like a couple weeks before. And yeah. his parents said, no, like he wasn't a nobody. He was already in the business, but yeah. we we, lo- we love a good Hollywood story. <laughs> I love that they mentioned that Ethan had the idea about the glass in the shoes and how it was supposed to be in episode two, but it got changed to episode one. So I do love that they do let these actors have a little bit of freedom with their characters. Yeah. Were you shocked to learn that Harrow was supposed to originally be like a billionaire? I was, yeah. Yeah, I was like, how's this going to work? Another rich baddie? Okay. (laughs) Which I'm glad they changed, so. Yeah, I really do like this portrayal of Harrow. Oh, one of my favorite things they mentioned in this whole episode was in regards to Harrow's and his pain is when Ethan goes, you know, pain gives us identity. And I think we've all known someone that they can't lose that pain because then they lose themselves. What's mm-hmm. what's left? You know, that's my identity. It's the pain that I've gone through. And why would I want to change that? Yeah. Do you like these gray villains that we've had for a while now? Be more specific about gray villains. So we had Harrow. Right. He wanted to bring heaven on earth. And if it involved, you know, getting a couple weeds out before they destroy the garden, let's do it. You know, he's gray. Killmonger. Right. He's one of the most famous examples of we should be helping our people rise up. And then all of a sudden he goes crazy and -hmm. he just wants to start killing everybody. Uh, Morgenthau. Right. They go from the, no borders. Why do we need to be refugees on this planet? And then all of a sudden, she's just blowing up buildings with people inside because of reasons. And then, obviously, Thanos. Right? We're going through all these resources. We got to get rid of half the population. You know, compared to your other villains like Hela, that she's like, eh, eh, I am the goddess of death and I'm going to kill everybody <laughs> and look at this cool headpiece and I'm just a bad bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Great villains. <laughs> yes, yes. Great example. Um, I like them because we get the villains that just want to be villains and they'll do anything for money, power, love. And yeah, those villains are the deep cut throat villains that we see all the time and then these villains that are trying to do something good but in the wrong way so we I feel like need them both because I feel like it would get boring after a while seeing the same type of villain over and over again. Mm-hmm. What about yeah, you? I'm not a big fan of the gray villains that they've been having lately. I love a bad bitch. Okay. I love when a villain is just evil. Okay. I love when they're in it for the money. They're in it for the greed. They are like, Hey, I did not fall on my knees when I was seven and all of a sudden was like, everybody laughs. So now I'm the, no, like (laughs) (laughs) I want money and power. Those are cool villains. Those are traditional Disney villains and we love them. I don't mind gray villains, but it's like lately every single gray villain that they've had, it's like, so you just give like the leftist idea to the villain. Yeah. And you give like the military people like, when are you going to have the gray villain that's more towards like the military style of doing things? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I want that gray villain too. It's always going to the people that seem to have like leftist ideas, making them the villains. And here comes the military to save us. Yeah. 
what about the why can't we have the gray villain that's got ideals that are a little bit more centered to the right just for once i know that they want the toys that the military provides but it's like come on marvel if you're gonna give us gray villains give us a gray villain that's just kind of how i feel so if they're not gonna do that then just give me the bad bitch (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) right so you know, I'm excited for what we've seen coming forward from Gorith the God Butcher. He seems to like, okay, he seems like he has a cause, but he also seems like he's a bad bitch. Yeah. <laughs> right? When he says, you know, gods only care about gods, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is what I'm talking about. He has a motive behind his his actions, but they don't revolve around some crazy philosophical idea. Mm-hmm. So that's just how I feel. Like, I want a variety of villains, not just like, yeah. oh, I don't want to sympathize with a, a mass murderer. Like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which is, at the end of the day, what they're asking me to do. I want to, if you want me to root for a villain, I'll root for a villain. I could root for a villain every single day, as long as they're, like, over the top and not something that someone could attach themselves to those ideas in real life and then be like, well, I could do it better. Yeah, like they did with Wanda. Yeah. I, <laughs> she is a gray villain, but she did no wrong. And I love her because <laughs> she's a witch. Like, come on. Like, she just wants her kids. Like, <laughs> those are the gray villains that I like, where it's like yeah. they have their reasons, but it's not like some philosophical, you know, crap, whatever. Yeah. Because I don't want it to get to a point where now the gray villain is boring. Mm hmm. Just like how with Disney and Pixar, the hidden villain was like cool for like the first two movies. Then after a while, you're like, okay, so when's the turn? Yeah. (laughs) And now they're doing like, there is no villain. The villain is life and circumstances and family trauma. (laughs) (laughs) So I just hope that they just don't just stick with the great villain for too long. And just give us give us a bad bitch every now and then. Yeah. Because there is no reason to want to be a hero other than it's right. Why can't there just be a villain? Because they don't want to do what's right. Yeah. Well, I think that's what Marvel has had a problem with is their villains is they always have to have a cause behind it. Yeah. And if, like, if they're going to die at the end of the series, then why do I care about the cause? I just want to see someone be, you know. We do it in horror movies. We have the serial killer. We have the monster. We have Ghostface. And they have their motives, and we know their motives at the end. But since you're just here for this story, it doesn't have to be so big and complex and over the top. I think gray villains like Thanos worked because it was through a multitude of movies, and he was around for a while. Yeah. If you're going to die at the end of this, just be a bad bitch. There's no need for you to be so philosophical if you're just going to be gone at the end of this. Like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> just, just get to it. In conclusion, Marvel is a land of contrast. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. So how did you feel about Maya as Layla? She was so good. She and... really was. I loved her. And I loved that Mohammed was like gung ho about her and having her be Egyptian and the representation was there. And yeah, it was really cool to see. Yeah. And I love hearing also her journey to the character of Layla. I didn't really know anything about the role before I took it on. She was Egyptian, and that for me was a very exciting thing to portray in a Marvel production. And then as time went by and I started to figure out more about her and I found out her like trajectory and journey, that became even more exciting. I struggled a lot in the beginning as like quite a vulnerable person. I had this idea of like, Layla has to be really strong and like she doesn't have feelings and I would get really insecure when I'd like crack or cry or feel a bit emotional. But this is just kind of a real person. And it was important for me to show all those sides of a woman. I just loved everything she brought to the table with the character of Layla. And I love hearing that she kind of had a different view on how to portray her at first. 
and then how that morphed and i'm glad that she made her a, a, a real a real person yeah i think that especially for like women characters it's really easy to just turn them into like one dimensional or a caricature or like how she said they're like they're like the complete opposite of what they normally are to the point where they're they have no emotion that they're strong they never cry in front of anybody and it's like i don't like that either because that's not a real person yeah they made her go through an emotional journey but she wasn't hysterical mm-hmm. right and out of everyone i connect i connect when the characters when they're down because i, I think i i relate to them being down more than when they're like up <laughs> yeah emotionally I love that she says that she did not want Layla to be a character that was just there for a man's journey. And I think that they're getting there. I don't think they're there 100%. Because when you're the sidekick, that kind of puts you in that position anyways. Like, you are going to have to get rescued yeah, by the main character. But here it made sense that you got rescued not because you were captured, but it was just because of the way the battle went. Mm-hmm. How did you like her portrayal as Tauret during the filming of all this? I thought it was so cool that they they actually had the actress there being Tauret. And of course, they added all the CGI after, but it was perfect. It was really cool to see. And yeah getting more information on how that was filmed and learning how to pronounce the name, even though I don't know how to pronounce it again. (laughs) That was really cool. One thing that I love is actors portraying a character imitating someone else. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, how many levels deep are we going here? Right? So I always think that's super magical. Speaking of gods, how did you like Khonshu in the series, Eddie? I think we talked about it in one of the episodes where they made him look more rugged and worn out because maybe he was living in the mortal world. And the creators even brought it up like they gave him a different portrayal of him, but it still works within the show. And Mm -hmm. we still keep that um, godness of him in there that we know who he is. Yeah, definitely. I do love that they mentioned that Khonshu is Mark's rage, which I think is very powerful because Mark is holding a lot of rage. Especially when we see what he went through as a child. Yeah. And Khonshu offers him the outlet to release this rage. I do think that Khonshu was a cool character. He is definitely a great character because there's definitely some good and bad to him. Or as Ahmed would say, his scales lack balance. Mm Mm-hmm. So I really did appreciate that. I love that they actually had the actors on stage in full costume. Yeah. Portraying these gods. And with that, how did you feel about the costumes in this show? Which is like my favorite part of anything Marvel. Yes. So good. I loved all the costumes. Seeing Oscar Isaac get sued up in the Moon Knight costume was so good. Even though like, I'm pretty sure the stuff in the show was mostly CGI. They had like a scanning of him in the costume to be able to move him around, but it was just really cool seeing him in the costume. Everyone in yeah. the costume, so. Yeah, it was also really hot to get to see his eyes yeah. in that costume. <laughs> Not just like the little glowy things, but actually seeing Oscar Isaac's eyes like piercing through you is like, no, no, sweetie, keep the cape on. (laughs) (laughs) 
it was crazy when we learned that originally Mark was going to be Mr. Knight and Steven was going to have the ceremonial suit. Yeah. And when they got into development, they did the swap. And do you think that was the right choice? Yes. And even Oscar Isaac was like, was the one that was like, maybe we should have Steven be in the suit. And I love that this show had a lot of like creative minds behind it, including like the actors and stuff, because they helped each other and figured figured it all out together. Because even with the making of the costume, like there were so many ideas and so many different portrayals of how the costume was going to look like that. Yeah, it was really cool having all those ideas bounce off one another and they finally got something good and it looks amazing. Yeah. I really like that. We got to get a up close look at the costumes and the fabrics. Like the Mr. Knight costume looks gorgeous. The amount of texture and the print and all these tiny little details that you're probably not going to see on camera like the buttons having conchu symbols on it. Like, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I just feel like say what you want about Marvel, but the costume department is like, they are getting so good at making these things that should look like utter garbage. <laughs> look couture. Yeah. The money is, the money is there. I mean, even like the hieroglyphics on the side of the leg, who would see that like nobody would really pick up on that but they know it's there Mm -hmm. and that's what i love about these artisans is that they know it's there and that's what's important Mm -hmm. like the joke has always been if you go to a stage play and there's a piece of paper there is no way the prop department is ever going to allow that piece of paper to not have writing on it no one's gonna see it but they know yeah and it's all about their craft so i really do love that the individual pieces look gorgeous on all the suits i just want to try it on because it feels like it'd be super soft and stretchy (laughs) yes you know me i'm a whore for the costumes i am sorry like (laughs) my dream would be to be able to just put on one of them and be like oh my god i'm so fat (laughs) (laughs) So moving on to the sets, how did you feel about the sets of Moon Knight? Because we had a lot of them. We did. And to find out that they replicated Cairo because they didn't film on site was really cool to see. And even the director was like, I want this to look exactly like Egypt because this show takes place in Egypt and it's going to have a lot of people noticing that if it's not authentic, then they're going to know. Yeah. Like I was like, duh, of course they didn't film in Cairo, but they didn't film in Cairo. Like at the same time, like I was, I was surprised, but not. At the same time, because they did such a great job. Yeah. I love when they turned the Museum of Fine Arts in Budapest into the British Museum. Because they had to build all that stuff. Yeah. When you look into everything that they had to build for this show, you can see why it's millions of dollars per episode. Mm -hmm. What was your favorite set in the movie? It's probably being inside the Pyramids of Giza. Oh, in the Chamber of the Gods? Yes, (laughs) because obviously we don't know what's in there, or I don't know what's in there. Um, But it was really cool to see these Chamber of the Gods and seeing each god portray there was really cool to see yeah and just seeing how huge the statues were 
like when they were talking to the set director or the set designer and she's giving her like her little stories and in the background you're just seeing that oh my god the hair for the main god in the chamber each lock is individually being put on there mm-hmm. it wasn't carved it was like they were clipping it on and i was like oh my god this is amazing and they're just gonna blow it all up at the end That's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just glad that they're using actual sets because it gets yeah. you in the mood mm-hmm. i mean i loved the great pyramid chamber of the god sets but i mean the alexander's tomb yeah was also really beautiful when they told us that they they got all these kids that are non-union to come and paint (laughs) (laughs) they're like what did you pay them a sandwich (laughs) (laughs) and a milk and a milk don't forget the milk eddie um so i thought that was really cool the mental institution was an interesting set but i mean they built tower red's boat yeah and that was a pretty big that was a pretty big set mm-hmm. for what it was. And I, I'm just sure they get into it and it helps deliver a greater product. So I'm glad that they, that they're doing it. Yeah. I love when they went to Jordan and Oscar Isaacs was like, if you were to tell me that I'd be here for three separate franchises, I would have believed you. And I'm like, that's right. You've been <laughs> in everything. Yeah. <laughs> What else can we have him in? Has he done Disney animation yet? I want to say no. Not that I can think of. Well, he needs to get to it because <laughs> <laughs> he's done the Star Wars. He's done the Marvel. And now we just need the animation. They bring up the fact that this is not really a show. It's more of a six hour movie. Do you like this format? I feel like sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't because it seems like they can never stick the landing at the end with this show they did and it was amazing but with other shows we always felt like like it was unfinished or rushed yeah so it makes sense that they state that it's a six hour movie because they are moving into producing more shows, but it's hard. It's hard to distinguish what is a movie and what is a good quality show. Yeah. Well, I think the hard part is that fine. Call it a six hour movie if you want. But it's neither. It's neither a show nor a movie because every episode needs a three-act structure, right? Mm-hmm. They need to the beginning, the middle, and an ending. But since it's a show, they want to keep it in a cliffhanger. So every episode starts off right where the last episode ended, which has to happen because, like they said, it's a movie. A regular yeah. TV show, you might have a cliffhanger ending. But sometimes a cliffhanger could just be information learned. Yeah. And here, most of the cliffhangers were like physical cliffhangers mm-hmm. where the following episode has to open up where the last one ended. Yeah. So, okay, that's fine. But now when you watch it, when you binge it, you're going through six different three-act structure stories and the emotions go up and down, up and down, up and down, right? So if that's going to be the case, how come the last episode is never just action, action, action? It's always, here's the new three-act structure we have to set up for the final episode because it's a TV show. So if you're going to say it's a six-hour movie, commit to the six-hour movie. If it's going to be a TV show, commit to the TV show. Like Not every cliffhanger needs to be a physical one. I think that's why WandaVision worked so well because we had cliffhangers that were information. Yeah. And the following episode didn't pick up right where the the previous one ended because TV shows are like that. They Sometimes it's been a few hours since the events that we left off last time. Mm-hmm. And as a TV show, I'm like, it's fine. I don't need to see that. But as a movie, it's like, I need to see how you got away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I think they're still trying to figure it out. And I need them to either commit to TV show or commit to a six hour movie. Mm-hmm. I'm going to watch it either way, but I just like commit, please. <laughs> yeah. I do love that they mentioned that the ancient Egyptians created the idea of avatars. Which I did not know as a kid that grew up loving ancient Egypt. It's always fun to learn new information. Yeah. Were you aware of this or was it new to you too? No, it was new to me. And it was really cool that they're like, if we are writing a made up story about Egypt, it it needs to be as authentic as possible. And hearing that these pharaohs had avatar or were avatars to gods was really cool to to see yeah i think it's time for our episode ranking of moon knight (laughs) this is my favorite part of any series that we do because we get to fight yeah (laughs) we normally don't fight in real life we're very lovey-dovey peace love but with these rankings, uh, we both turn into Hella for some reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll let you go first. What episode have you placed on the number six slot? This is very hard because this is probably one of my favorite Marvel shows that they have done. So my least favorite episode was... Episode 2, Summon the Suit. Interesting. Because I feel like we were still a little confused on what was happening. And we finally, at the end of this episode, see him get sued up. And that's how the episode ends. So, yeah. I don't know. It was my least favorite. So (laughs) (laughs) So that's why this one is my number six. What about you? For my number six slot, and it was a very difficult decision. Um, It was a good show, but math tells me that an episode is going to have to be in this spot. And I've given it to episode one, The Goldfish Problem. It was a fine episode. It was a funny episode, but it had my least favorite character, which was Steven. <laughs> episode <laughs> episode one, Steven. And it's like, oh, I don't want to see myself on TV. Loser, missing the bus. <laughs> <laughs> I came here for uh, I came here for sexy Oscar and he where is he? Nowhere to be found. And it's just the thing that I hate the most where he suits up, not on camera, in the last 10 seconds. And we don't see anything. And it's like, uh, I had already seen this in all your advertisement. I got nothing new. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So for that, my number six went to episode one, The Goldfish Problem. So Eddie, what is your number five slot? My number five is episode one, The Goldfish Problem. I liked this episode more than episode two because i i like stephen grant i like this loser no one likes him um everyone's mean to him and i sympathize for him so it's your self insert (laughs) (laughs) so i that's why i picked this episode as my number five what about you For my number five, I picked episode three, The Friendly Type. I kind of saw this one more like the filler episode. Mm. So, but it was still, it didn't have too much Steven. So I thought it was kind of (laughs) cool. So, no, it just, it, it was a very difficult ranking. And unfortunately, this one is just going to have to be my my number fifth one nice what about your fourth what was your 
your your fourth favorite episode? My fourth favorite episode is the friendly type episode three, which it seems like we have the same episodes but in different order for the bottom yeah, three. <laughs> almost like there's only six episodes. <laughs> so, but yes, everything that you said, this felt like a filler episode. Um, we got a lot of information of who Mark is, and we got introduced, or we got more information of who um, Ethan Hawke's character is too. So, but yeah, felt like a filler episode, like you said. What about your number four? For my fourth favorite episode, I've given it to. Episode four, the tomb. <gasps> I know. I just thought it was it was cool because we got to see like the zombies and it, it started getting all scary. And <laughs> like out of all these episodes, that one kind of stands out as like the odd one. Like they went true supernatural in this one, and they don't really do that at the rest of the episodes to that extent. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, this is where you had the the priest yeah. gutting everybody. And we had Layla and Harrow having that discussion. So I think that's kind of what kind of put it out there. And it was close to the top, but it just didn't quite make it. So it's going to have to be episode four, The Tomb. Now we move on to the top three, the finalists. So, Eddie, who is getting your bronze medal? My bronze medal, my episode, or my ranking for number three spot is going to be episode five, The Asylum. Oh, nice. Because uh, it's in the top three because it was one of the better episodes, in my opinion. We got to see Tarette. We got introduced to... this world where we thought maybe it's all in his head and maybe he is crazy because he's in asylum and they show a whole bunch of like easter eggs of previous episodes of this is how mark was coming up with all these ideas because it was in this asylum so i thought yeah. that was really cool cool what about you number three my Number three episode is going to go to episode six, Gods and Monsters. Oh, wow. I know. <laughs> so you kind of already can, if you do the math, you kind of already know what two episodes are remaining. But <laughs> I mean, we had the suit up of Layla, which was like, oh, the wings. She fly. I love a flying character. Like, oh, when I have superpowers, when I dream, I fly. So <laughs> I love that. Uh, we had the giant gods fighting in the background it was the final episode it gave us one of the coolest post-credit scenes we've had in a long time and it was just a fun episode it was one of my favorite season finale episodes we've had for a disney plus show so for that it's going to get my bronze medal Moving on to silver, who is getting your silver medal, Eddie? My silver medal goes to episode four, The Tomb. It was really hard to pick between these last two because I love them both so much. But in this episode, we got an adventure. We got mummies. We got zombies. They were searching for Alexander's tomb. It was basically this is what like a movie episode was about they had a beginning middle and an end they reached the tomb and they got the they found the little idol and he gets shot at the end <laughs> yes he gets shot at then but yeah it was it was so good i yeah love adventure movies and this episode was definitely a little mini adventure yeah 
What about you? What was your number two? My silver medal is going to go to episode five, Asylum. I thought this was one of the most emotionally wrenching episodes that I've seen in my entire life. Um, Just seeing him go through this emotional and mental journey through his past traumas was very was very intense. I mean, we had child abuse on display and the effects that that can have on you. Mm -hmm. You know, for the first time, they weren't like, oh, your parents tried their hardest. Yeah, they tried their hardest on how to hit me without letting other people know what's happening. (laughs) Yes. We had Tauret, which was a lovely goddess. And I don't know, I just really loved it. I love seeing my, I love seeing my main male superhero cry and be emotional when he's not drunk yeah i don't consider drunk an emotion so (laughs) if you say oh he went through an emotional journey no he was just drunk and he couldn't control himself like relax (laughs) that shot of oscar isaac crying on the street is so powerful and it's like wow this is taking you there yeah so for that it's gonna have to be my silver medal winner so eddie who is getting the gold the gold is going to the season finale gods and monsters because it was so cool seeing those two gods battle it out we got them fighting then we have moon knight and Arrow fighting it out with Layla's help. It was just, and we see Layla suit up. It was so cool. (laughs) Yeah. Like I said, we haven't gotten a perfect landing in these Marvel shows, but they were able to stick it and give us one of the best post-credit scenes we have gotten in Phase 4. No, I definitely agree. So, Irving, what is your number one? I think you already know. You did the math. <laughs> um, I think the audience knows, too. I said it when the episode f- was first aired. It's going to have to be episode two, Summon the Suit. And this is going to be fun because uh, you were in Mexico when this episode was discussed. So That's probably why. <laughs> <laughs> Your, so, it's your number one, and it's my number six. <laughs> yeah, so, Eddie, my story on why I love this episode is long and treacherous. So if you need to pee, go now. I don't want you going in the middle of my story. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, I just love this episode. It, it gave me everything. It has everything you you could possibly need in a TV show. It's got Mr. Knight. It's got regular Moon Knight. It's got an emotional journey. It's got mirrors. It has Oscar Isaac stomping, which is so hot. It has Conchu <laughs> telling him, you think you own this body? And you really don't. Like, it had everything, everything you can want. We visit Harold's location for the first time. We discover the cops are shady. We go to that crazy place where he's hiding out and there's only a cot and everything has mirrors. And I'm just like, is this where you film your OnlyFans? Like... Eddie, it's a perfect episode. (laughs) (laughs) It's got it all. And I just loved it. It's got Mr. Knight being all like, okay, I got this. I got this. And he doesn't got this. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I just thought it was a fun episode. And unfortunately, the emotional attachment I have to that episode kind of made it number one. Like, if I could only show people one episode, it might be that one. Because I think that that kind of shows you who Steven is and who Mark is. And, you know, he breaks the mirror. And we have that really cool scene of the end of going to Egypt and you get to see Oscar Isaac's back. Like, come on. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's so good. Um. 
so it's just gonna have to be episode two summon the suit it is just uh it is just great i do love that you brought up the post-credit scene because when was the last time we had a post-credit scene that didn't set anything up that didn't involve just that character i don't even know (laughs) yeah like this wrapped up the story the Mm post-credit scene wrapped up the story like yes it lets us know that oh this character can continue but it really did feel like this series is self-contained yeah if we if we were to say place this on the timeline you could place it anywhere Mm -hmm. and i really love that i love that this one was like okay this this feels vintagey for some reason yeah like, I was really expecting the post credit scene to be like, hi, I'm blah, 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 and I'm here to help you. <laughs> <laughs> and then me going, oh, my God, I have no idea who this person is. <laughs> <laughs> so what are your final thoughts on Moon Knight season one? I loved it. It's definitely, like I said earlier, it's definitely one of my most favorite shows that Marvel has done because it pulls itself out of the timeline like you said you don't know where exactly it falls in the timeline and it's its own thing it has its own characters it has its villain that we don't know about there's nothing we need to watch before for this to make sense and I feel like as a casual fan, I like these kind of things because it lets other people who have not been invested in the MCU be able to watch this and see it for what it is and not as part of a timeline. Yeah. So. And if you give it a overall rating, what would you give it? Ooh. Just with Oscar Isaac's performance alone, 10 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> nice. So it gets a 10 out of 10. You hear, you heard it here, folks. What about you? I love this show. I thought it was a lot of fun. If we can have Oscar Isaac as the next Indiana Jones, this is like the next best thing. So I'm happy with it. I love the characters. I loved Layla. I loved... I don't think that Hera was the main villain. I think that Mark's trauma was the main villain. Yeah. We're in in the age of trauma. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because killing Hera wasn't the fix mm-hmm. that we thought it was gonna be so then he wasn't the villain um because he's gray but i i loved it i loved the series i loved seeing his his upbringing because it's the first time i've ever actually felt like i connected with a superhero and that we had the same upbringing yeah i don't connect with the orphan storylines right but with this one it's like oh wow this was this was different and it hit hard and the fact that the mom also looked like my mom was like very like oh shit right so i was able to connect to the show a lot more and i really enjoyed it i really enjoyed that they looked into um just the mental health aspects of everything mm-hmm. and with DID and how the most beautiful thing that happened to Mark and Steven was that they realized that they're each other's superpower and yeah. they started working together. And I just love that. I love that. It's not just that trying to eliminate the person that you had to create in order to become a stronger person It's knowing when that person is able to stand back and let your true self come forward and vice versa yeah that you don't always have to be this front Mm -hmm. when you feel like you're broken and i really love that 
And I am also going to give it a 10 out of 10 just for that back shot of Oscar Isaac alone. (laughs) (laughs) So that about wraps up this episode. I have been your host, Irving. And your host, Eddie. And this has been Discussing Marvel. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Please be sure to leave us a review. And if you have, thank you so much. Share us with your Marvel-loving friends and help us get discovered. And join us next time for another amazing episode.